Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. All right, so we are starting a four-part series this morning. And it's called We Will. We Will. And we're going to get into a pattern where we, where we kick off each year with this kind of a, this kind of a series. Where really, we want to talk about our values as a church, as the church, but also as Damascus Road Church more specifically. So we will. We're going to talk this morning about valuing life. We will value life. We'll talk about we will be generous we will love others, and we will seek God with prayer and fasting. Okay, So these are the, the four things that we want to highlight uh, kicking off 2018. We will value life, we will love others, we will be generous, we will seek the Lord with prayer and fasting. We will, let's see if I can do it, we will value life, we will love others, we will be generous, and the fourth one is we will seek the Lord. Okay, so these are four things foundational as we've been praying, as we've been seeking the Lord. Uh, this is, this is, these are the four kind of pillars that, that we want to highlight as we start off this year, and you can expect this in, in the years to come as well. So this morning, we're going to start with this thing of valuing life, okay? I used to think, I used to think that obeying God was about following a bunch of rules, Okay? And that's what repelled me from a long time, from jumping in with Jesus, okay? I used to think that it was all about following a bunch of rules. Now I know that it's really just about valuing others. About obeying God is about valuing Him and valuing others. And living accordingly, period. I can just stop there, okay? But I won't. Um, in, in, in our family, we, uh, we have learned... There, there was a long time where we were trying to like parent and, and manage our kids' behavior by um, calling out things that we don't like. Okay, don't do that. How many times a day, parents, do you say that? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. But what we learned over time was what's more effective is to say, "We do this." So it's not just saying, "Don't do that." We don't like that. Don't do this. Don't do that behavior. What we want to do is point toward who we are. Okay? So, instead of saying, hey, don't be rude. We say, hey, in the Leeson family, we're loving and respectful. Okay? You with me? So, what I'm doing is trying to create an identity in my kids' hearts and minds about who we are. About our identity as a family and instilling within them values that they can live accordingly. According to. Okay? So, in the Leeson family, we honor and respect each other. In the Leeson family, we use language that is honoring and respectful and not tearing down, okay? So, like, we don't, we don't talk about don't say bad words, okay, for example. That's just not a part of our, like, the way that we approach family and parenting. Those, the, that doesn't come out of our mouth, don't say bad words. But rather, we use language that builds people up, that's loving, okay? And a side effect of that is, oh, by the way, don't use stupid words that are going to tear people down. Okay? You with me? So trying to reinforce values and the positive things that we want to see, and not only that, but what's behind it and why. And what's behind it is that we believe 
that the people around you have the image of God written within them, therefore they are eternally valuable. Okay? So there, there have been times in where, when I, when I have, when you, you know, when you see one of your kids do something to one of your other kids, or you see someone do something to another person, and you just, like, you get so frustrated and angry, and I've called out one of my kids and said, don't talk to my daughter like that. And I'm talking to my son. You don't speak to my daughter like that. <laughs> and he kind of slows down. Is he in here? He's not in here. Oh, he's on the retreat. That's right. <laughs> um, one thing at a time. You don't speak to my daughter like that because she is valuable to me. Okay? Now, I love you, and I wouldn't allow her to speak to you like that either. Those curls. Um, this is the kind of thing that we're wanting to convey through, through, this, through this series, okay? This is what we're about, okay? We're not, we're not creating a bunch of rules. We're not calling, we're not trying to manage behavior. What we're trying to do is say, this is what we want to be about, and this is why, all right? So today, we're going to talk about valuing life. We're going to hit three things, okay? God's image, God's command, and our response. You with me? God's image, God's command, in our response. Let me pray as we move ahead. Lord God, open our hearts. Open our hearts to the things that you want to say, that the ways that you want to teach and instruct us. Help us, Lord, to lay down our, um, our assumptions. Help us to lay down our preconceived ideas about life with you and who you are. Open our hearts anew to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before diving into this area on God's image, let me just say a few, I want to preface a few things about this. So I've been talking about kind of the series and where we're going overall. I want to preface just a few things about this particular message, okay? What I hope to do, a lot of what I'm, uh, what I'm going to say is not necessarily new for many of you, but what I hope to do is pull some things out of the clouds, okay? I want to talk about righteousness and justice, for example. Those are churchy words that oftentimes like, don't mean much to us, right? How many of you have used the words righteousness, the word righteousness, like in the last 24 hours? Like, <laughs> Emma, you're a nerd. No, no, no. Uh, righteous, I mean, that's just not something that we talk about like in our daily language. And if we do talk about it, often it has like a negative connotation, right? Like, oh, he's self righteous. Oh, they're so righteous, right? Or it's like Bill and Ted, <laughs> righteous. Like I don't know where that comes from, but um, the, what I want to do is pull these words out of the clouds and plant them in the ground for us. Okay, so they can bear fruit. They don't do us any good up here, and if they don't have real on the ground meaning for us, then we need to do away with them and find new words. So I want to talk about justice and righteousness and pull those things out of the clouds. I want to challenge us to value life in our whole lives. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the topic of abortion. Which everybody goes, what's he gonna say? Okay, um, some of you are gonna get frustrated for things I say. Some of you think some of you are gonna get frustrated for things I don't say. Okay, so just to give you a, a little bit of idea of like where we're going, we're going to get there, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that. 
But I want to challenge us, hopefully, to see these things in, in a new light and hopefully try to, try to shape the way that we approach issues that we see in our time. But also I want to give context, talking about righteousness and justice and valuing life, I want to give context to some of the things that we, we're already seeing, some of the things that we're already doing individually and also as a church. Okay? I want to give some context to try to tie things together for us so that we have a firm groundwork to pursue righteousness and justice from here as a church so that we can be a people who value life. Let me just ask you this. What would it look like for us as a church, what would it look like in our community, in our city, if we, the the people who, who are connected to this community, what if we radically valued life? Radically. What would it look like? Can you just imagine? What would it look like if Damascus Road Church and people connected to this body radically valued life? Notice I'm not talking, notice I'm not using the word pro-life, okay? What if we radically, radically valued life in a way that required faith to follow through? It's just too big. What if, what if, your, what if the businesses owned and operated by people in this church radically valued life? People around town would be like, oh, that's, that's one of those Damascus Road businesses, man. Those guys don't play around. No, you don't mess with them. What if, what if the people working in, in the sphere of education within this church radically valued life? And you were connected together so that you could network and encourage one another so that you weren't brought down by the worldly, fleshly context that you operate in, but you could connect together and say, hey, how are you valuing life this week? And these kids that are marginalized and put down, Right? What would that look like? Oh, those are those Damascus Road teachers. Man, those guys, whew, they raised the standard for all of us. It's so frustrating. Right? What would it look like? What would it look like if we were known by that? So, on the contrary, what would it look like if we were gone, would our city notice? If we just, like, closed our doors and ceased to exist, do you think people in our neighborhood, would, would they notice? What do you think? Real question. And you can feel free to answer honestly or don't. <laughs> Would they notice? Would our city notice? Would they miss us? This is a, this is a challenge for us. I'm not trying to be a downer or whatever. Um, maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe there's some things that we're involved with on, on smaller scale levels. Um, but I want to kind of stir our imagination because that's the place where faith begins, okay? It's in seeing the unseen, right? That's how the writer of Hebrews describes faith. Faith is seeing the unseen, the substance of things that don't yet exist. It starts right here in our, in our imagination as God works within us, and we stop devoting our imagination toward things that are fruitless in steel life and start devoting our imagination toward the things that God wants to do in the world, and we begin to see them, the things that are not seen, and then we partner with God to bring them into being. You with me? That's how faith operates as we partner with God. Okay? So what would it look like if we were a church who radically values life? Okay, so God's image, God's command, and our response. Early on in the Old Testament, God has, has delivered his people from Egypt, and they've gone through something called the Exodus, where they, you guys have seen the prince of Egypt before, and they, they cross the, the river, and Pharaoh's armies get destroyed, and then they're out in the wilderness, and there's this fresh new time where God's going to begin to shape and instruct a nation. And all through 
through the beginning of the Old Testament, we read the way that God was going to shape, disciple, and instruct this nation to be a light to the nations, okay? So he's delivered this people from slavery, and he's going to shape them and mold them into his people to be a light for the nations. Okay, so early on, in Exodus 20, there's this, uh, this interesting story where Moses is up on the mountain, and he's hearing from God the, uh, the Ten Commandments. He's, he's receiving these, and he's going back down to the people. And what have they done? The God who's just delivered them from Egypt is trying to uh, mold them and instruct them. Moses is up on the mountain. In the meantime, they've taken all their gold, which they collected from the people of Egypt on their way out, and molded it into idols, into images, right? And, um, and Moses is so angry, he's so frustrated, and um, there's, there's something really, there's something within this story that, that we should kind of pause and ask, like, why, why did they do this? And why, why was it such a big deal? Well, see, the surrounding, the people surrounding them, okay, the, the things that they observe was that every, every people group, every religious group would have uh, their own images, right? They'd have their own images representing their god or their gods. And even the ruler, like Pharaoh, would be the image of God as well, right? Representing God. But God was instructing his people to have no images. They were to have no images of God. And eventually, the king of the people was not an image of God, right? He was an instrument of God. The prophets, the judges, none of them were, were images of God in particular. So God was instructing his people in a really radically different way than other peoples around them would operate. So here's the thing. They already had an image of God. So where was it? It was written within them, right? Their image wasn't to be a golden calf. It wasn't to be some idol, um, some image made from material things. But God was informing them that him, his image was already written, was already among them. It was written among themselves and the peoples around them. Okay? So kick back to Genesis 1, first or second page of your Bible. Genesis 1, 27, it says, God created people in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. Created them. In his image. Okay, so there are many things that we can say about that, but I'm going to... I'm going to just limit it to saying God had written his image within the people that he had created. Okay? You probably heard that before, right? Fourth grade, Sunday school, wherever. It turns out it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal. So God is instructing the Hebrews in a completely different way of observing him, of seeing him, not through something they would make with their hands, but through the things that God had made. Okay? So his image was within the people around them. So, here's, here's something for us to chew on and meditate on. The higher my view of God, the higher my view of the value of the people around me is. Okay? The more deeply I worship, the more deeply intimate, the, 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 more, the greater reverence I have of God, the greater reverence I will have for the people around me. And the more enriched I will know my life is because of you guys in my life. Okay? 
Now, if you go home and you are just so down and so you're demeaning of the people around you, you first of all need to look to the Lord and immerse yourself in the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord, and your perspective on the people around you will change and you will realize that you're not so poor after all. You're actually rich in relationships because of the wondrous miracles all around you. Okay? The higher my view of God, the higher my view of, will, will be of people, even or especially those who are marginalized, who are oppressed, who are the least of these in our society. Okay? So think about Mother Teresa and her ministry on the streets of Calcutta, where she is seeing Jesus. She's so compelled toward compassion because she's seeing Jesus in the eyes and in the being of this person who's in the gutters. Okay? What if we live that way? What if we were a church known for valuing people radically? What, what, would, our, what would our city say about us? Okay? What would our community say about us? You with me? Radical. Just starting on the first page of your Bible. Let's just go from there. The image of God written on every person you encounter today, tomorrow, and the next day. Let's treat them accordingly. Okay, so God's image leads us to God's command. Okay, so we're looking at, at God's image and God's instructing his people in the way that they should live. So you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Proverbs, Psalms. There's all this wisdom and instruction that God is giving. You might look at those and think that these are obsolete parts of your Bible. You're mistaken. You're sadly mistaken if that's your impression, okay? Because what it does is reveals to us who God is and how he desires to shape a society. Okay, so we can read these stories from the beginning of our Old Testament and see who God is and what that means for my life, okay? So God is giving his people commandments, and the, um, something that's so prominent throughout the Old Testament is this combination of righteousness and justice, Okay? Throughout his instruction in the beginning, and then his call back to repentance in the prophets, is this continual combination of righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. But it's difficult for us because these, uh, these words don't have a whole lot of meaning or a very different meaning for us today. Okay, so let me start, let me start with justice. Okay, so there's, um, I don't know if we, we have that phrase up on the screen? Okay, mishpat. So mishpat is a, um, is a Hebrew word used for justice, which essentially means giving people what they deserve. Okay, so there's two, uh, two streams of, of justice that we see in the Old Testament. One is retributive, and that's going to be more familiar to us, okay? Somebody does wrong, you set it right, okay? Give somebody what they deserve. Um, that's what we are most familiar with in our society today with the prison system, whatever. All right, so retributive justice. But restorative justice is maybe less familiar to us, okay? Both are equally present in the Old Testament. So giving people what they deserve means punishment for wrongdoing, but also giving people their rights, what they're worthy of, okay? So we could sum this up by saying it's advocating for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. I'm not just talking lofty, fuzzy stuff in America today, okay? I'm rooting this in the Old Testament perspective in the way that God was instructing his people, okay? So justice 
is both of these in advocating for the vulnerable, being a voice for the voiceless, okay? So there are four groups who are continually referred to in the Old Testament, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor, okay? The widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor. Continually, throughout the Old Testament, God is challenging, commanding his people to work for justice for the immigrant, for the widow, for the orphan, and for the poor. And in our society today, we would likely expand this to include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, the single parent, and the elderly. People who would, who would also be added into this category of powerlessness or marginalization, vulnerability. So God's continually challenging his people toward justice for this group. We can read this more in our society today. And not only is he doing that, but he's also introduced time and time again by his activity toward these people. Okay? So if, I, if I'm introduced as, to you as, uh, my name is Michael Leeson, and I am father of five. Okay, so what does that mean? That, like, one of my primary activities in life, like, the first way that you get to know me, the way I'm introduced to you, I'm gonna, that's one of my primary activities in life, right? I'm a father. Or I do this certain kind of work. Or I'm founder of this or that. God, time and time again, is referred to in the Old Testament as the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, the protector of the orphans. Okay? Psalm 68, 4 and 5. Clearly spells this out, for example. So God's being introduced in this way, so clearly this is an important part of his activity in our world and who he is, right? You with me? He's working for justice, not just to punish the wrongdoer, but to give people who are marginalized and vulnerable to sin in the world to insulate that and give them power at their disposal and wealth at their disposal to insulate themselves and to be able to be empowered to live with the dignity God has instilled within them. Okay? So that's righteousness. Just, uh, that's justice. Righteousness. Sadeka is righteousness. And we could sum this up by just saying it's right relationships with others according to God-given value. So this is righteousness especially. This is one of those words that we've got to pull out of the clouds. It's, it just doesn't have a lot of meaning to us. But let me sum it up like this, okay? Righteousness is simply right relationships. Right relationships with God and with one another according to the value within that person, okay? God having infinite, immeasurable value, right? The highest value in our lives. And the people around us having unimaginable value placed within them by God. So righteousness is living accordingly, okay? We're getting into some, I'm, I'm chewing on some meat here. Are you with me? So we start off talking about God's image, and now we're talking about God's commandment. God's commanding his people to live in justice and righteousness. Hang with me. All right, righteousness, we mistake this and we think it's just about private morality, right? Have you looked at porn lately? That's often a question when we start to talk about righteousness. Have you, fill in the blank, some kind of private issue? And that is a part of righteousness, right? 
It's a fraction of righteousness. It's also public and social in our relationships with others. It refers to our day-to-day living, how we conduct ourselves in our home, in our family, and in society. Conducting ourselves with fairness and generosity and equity. Okay, so Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 6, 1 and 2. He gives this warning, and he's saying, hey, guys, be careful what you do for others to see. But what is it that he says? Matthew 6, 1 and 2, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Okay, so Jesus is just assuming this is going to be a part of your life, of our lives, of the people he's addressing, that righteousness is something that they practice. Okay? And he says, be careful how you do it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, as you're practicing your righteousness, when you give to the needy, which is a practice of righteousness, you with me? What Jesus is saying here is this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to practice righteousness when, not if, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So what do we take away from this? Okay, we need to be careful on how we give, and, and we get that. But what I want you to do is kind of dig back a little bit, see between the lines, that what Jesus is conveying here is that giving to the needy is not optional charity. Okay? It's not optional mercy that some people have and some people don't. It's a part of our righteous living. It's an expression of our righteousness that's not optional. Okay, you with me? So together in the Old Testament, this righteousness and justice are mentioned together more than three dozen times. This combination that they go hand in hand. Righteousness and justice. And we might pull those together and form what, we, what many people refer to today as social justice. When I mention that word, some people here are like, yeah, social justice. Some people are like, hey, we're Christians here, okay? <laughs> I got three words for you. Get over it, okay? And what we need to do is pull, like, for example, this thing of social justice. We need to, like, uncla- uncloud the mirror, okay? We need to get back to Scripture, and we need to know biblically how do we think about justice, and not be informed by CNN, not be informed by Fox News, MSNBC, whatever talking head is out there. I want to go back to Scripture. What if we were a church that was radically about embracing the value in the people around us? What if we were a church who so understood social justice that whatever movement came around, we were like, yeah, we've already been doing that because we walk with a God of righteousness and justice. Okay? Don't wrap us up in whatever movement. Don't, don't pull me into whatever party. I am about the kingdom of God, which is founded on righteousness and justice. You with me? What if we were that kind of people? And we weren't blown about by every wind that came our way. We're founded on scripture, okay? Founded in the life and example of Jesus. Okay, so here's what Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. I'm going to give you a few, just a few passages combining these from the Old Testament. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9 says, I'll read this one. Open your mouth for the mute, or for the voiceless, for the rights of all who are destitute. Okay, what, what if we did this? What if we followed this passage from, from Proverbs 
and just did this. For the rights of all who are destitute, open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of poor and needy. Okay, so this is a combination of these two terms I'm talking about, of justice and righteousness, okay? The next passage you want to mention is Jeremiah 22, 3, in which the prophet is calling God's people back. The Lord, uh, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. It doesn't say have justice and righteousness, right? It doesn't say feel justice and righteousness. It says what? Do. Do justice. Destitute, that's a good question. Destitute means that someone is helpless. You with me? They're helpless. They don't have the power, the help that they need, the ability to um, guard themselves from harmful situations, from sin in the world. So Jeremiah 22.3 says, This is what the Lord says. Do what is right and just. Do justice and righteousness. Deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Okay? This doesn't say... Okay, so again, let's, let's read this and say, well, who is God? If this is what God is instructing His people, what is He like? And what does it mean for us? Okay? This doesn't say, if you have the ministry of justice and righteousness, if that's your spiritual gift, no, it's saying this is, what, this is how God instructs and leads his people, okay? All right, um, Psalm 146, 7 through 9. Let's look at this one. God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners, the, the immigrant, traveler. The migrant, he upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. This is who our God is. All right, so this, this word wicked is also very interesting. That's another word that may kind of get lost in the clouds for us. Essentially, it means the one who does not do right. The one who does wrong. There's no space in between that. Like, inactivity equals doing wrong. You with me? Inactivity means being complicit, biblically. Even to the point that in, in 1 John, um, there's this challenge toward um, hatred. He who, hates, who, he who hates his brother says he loves is deceived. Okay? He has no part. That word hatred can just as easily be translated indifference. He who is indifferent... And says he loves. Okay, so that hatred can synonymous with, with, with indifference, with inaction. Okay? So this is this is what God is like, and this is how he's commanding his people to live. Listen to this. I want to give you a couple more passages. This is pretty packed with, with scripture here. Psalm 89:14. About who God is, righteousness and justice, another one of these combinations are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Okay, so justice, remember what these words are about, okay? Don't let them get lost in the clouds. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. It's the foundation of his rule. Is rightness and justness. Doing justice, doing righteousness. This is who he is. This is how he works. You guys, can we just like, like 
honor God for a moment? You know how amazing it is that we have a God who's about justice and righteousness? And he welcomes you, and he values you. And he does justice. And he's taken our sin and our penalty, the just penalty of our sin upon himself. He's fulfilled the law on our behalf by taking his, our penalty upon himself so that he can continue to uphold the law. He's a just God. He's a righteous God. And as we follow him, Isaiah 9-7 It's looking forward to the Messiah. It says, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from the time forth, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will uphold, to establish and uphold his kingdom. This is looking forward to Jesus, okay? To establish and uphold his kingdom with justice and righteousness. Man, so this is who Jesus is, right? This is how he rules. So our image and God's command to us, so I'm, I'm drawing out, focusing specifically, boiling it down to justice and righteousness. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment, right? And he said, it's love God and, and love people, Right? This, this sums up the law and the prophets, okay? So that's summing up what I'm saying here and trying to draw, and what I'm trying to do is, again, pull things out of the clouds for us so it has some concrete meaning for us in how we actually walk with Jesus. All right, we're chewing on meat. You with me? Talking about God's image, talking about his command to his people to be just and righteous. Okay? So now we get toward our response. Jesus' throne in his reign is founded on justice and righteousness. We covered that, right? Jesus' ministry is inaugurated as he reads from Isaiah. He he goes into the synagogue and he reads the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 61. In We read this in Luke chapter 4. And he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. All right, let me just say this. This is spiritual. Yes. It is also physical. Yes. You with me? And we have been practicing this as we are celebrating December and, se- and the work of IJM, International Justice Mission, and setting the captives free. This is the work of Jesus. It's not either it happens inside of me or happens out there. It's both. It starts within me and works its way out. Okay, That's the way that Jesus works. It's inside out, inside his people, from the inside and working its way out. You guys, and if you've skipped that process and you're doing stuff externally, but your life hasn't changed, take, take a step back, okay? Open up to somebody and let Jesus bring... Li- All these things are true for what he wants to do for you. Sight to the blind, physically and spiritually. Liberty, physically and spiritually. Economically. Liberty from oppression. 
He wants to do that within us. What if we were a church that so radically valued people that when we saw somebody who was in spiritual bondage and we were like, all right, brother, let's take care of business. I'm not going to let you walk around like that, man. I love you too much. I'm not going to let you walk around with a, with a whole path of broken relationships because you're addicted to this, this, or this, or because your father did this to you, or because you were assaulted when you were a kid. Dude, let's take care of business. You with me? What if we radically valued life so much that we called each other out? We were like, no, man. I'm not going to let you carry on like this. What if we did that? What if we lived like that? We were salty, salty people. You couldn't even get through the grocery line with us without being valued and life spoken to you. And sometimes, the thing is that sometimes that burns a little bit. Right? Sometimes having life spoken to you burns a little bit. You ever felt that before? I have. All right, so Jesus inaugurates and starts his, his ministry. Romans 3.22 mentions the fact that he is actually, he's made us righteous, right? It says that we are, we are his righteousness. Like he has, stu- he has stood in the gap for us, And he has changed our status. If you are in Christ, your status has been changed to righteous. Righteous standing. You've been justified. In other words, you've been brought into the family. Okay, The the gap has has been crossed. And your righteous standing is that you belong in the family. You're a son and a daughter. And you couldn't do that work on your own. And all you had to do was say, Jesus, I trust you with everything. And then do it. You with me? That, that's amazing. So he's calling us toward justice and righteousness, and then it turns out that he's actually made us righteous. He's made us righteous. He died on the cross, putting an end to the power of death and sin. He was resurrected, overcoming death and sin. And not only that, he didn't even stop there. He cleansed us. He cleansed you so that he could put his spirit within you. Why? Because he loves us and he wants to invite you into his presence. He also wants you to partner with him. Okay, so there's invitation and there's enabling. You with me? There's invitation and enabling. Invitation into intimacy with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit. And enabling to live righteously. Okay, this actually bears fruit in our lives when we radically value people the way that Jesus does. So there's a few different times, I'll just mention this, there several different times, where uh, the New Testament talks about freedom. Sometimes that word's translated liberty. It is for liberty that he has set us free. It's for freedom. Now we, in our, in our Americanized religion, often translate that for ourselves as, I can do whatever I want to do, nobody tell me any differently. And that's not at all what the New Testament is saying. If you think you can do whatever you want to do, I want to introduce you to the, someone named Lord Jesus. <laughs> okay? If you think you can do whatever you want to do, you need to meet the Lord Jesus for real. Because you can't. And when it's talking about liberty, what it's actually saying is that you are free to do what you ought to do, which is love people, which is do justice and righteousness. Okay? Liberty. 
to be free from the sinful bondage that's entangled you and hindered you from using your gifts and being free to express yourself and experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness and self-control. He's given us freedom for that. Not to do whatever you want to do, okay? So when we talk about I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> when we talk about freedom, this is, this, is what, this is what we mean, okay? When we talk about freedom and how Jesus has set us free, he's set us free from bondage, and he set us, he's invited us, and he's set us free toward, toward his work and his purposes in the world. Throughout history, so we're talking about our response. Throughout history, the church has stood out as people who radically value life. Throughout history, early on, first century, okay, the church was immediately taking care of orphans and widows, making sure that the widows all had food, okay, and the Greek Christians were complaining because their widows were getting passed up, and they had to correct things so that everybody, all the widows, were being taken care of. Okay, that was a that was a new, it was a fairly radical practice. Okay, further on within that context, infanticide. Was, was very common. So a family would have one daughter, and they'd leave the rest. If they had another girl, they'd just leave it out in the, in the elements, in the cold, for the wolves. Okay? And the Christians didn't practice this because they had this radical thought that every person was valuable, even little girls. Okay? And at the time, this is, this is radical. The Christians were known for taking the dead, even people who were not their own, and giving them an honoring burial, okay? Because they so valued life. A, a situation I was, that I was in the midst of recently where I saw the church radically valuing life was in Senegal, in West Africa, where I sat together with a, with a group of leaders, including the chief of, a, of this particular village who was a Muslim, and the pastor of kind of a young, growing, multiplying, fledgling church. We just had the privilege of baptizing 13 new believers who were given testimonies about how they were healed, and they burned all their idols, and they were turned into Jesus. Nothing else worked. Jesus healed. I'm following him. Okay? And we're sitting in this, in this meeting with the, the Muslim village chief, the pastor, and some other leaders, and, the, and the, the chief, a very dignified, respected guy. He says, very quietly and slowly, he says, we thank God for the church. Because of the church, many lives have been saved. The church built a grain bank where grain could be stored for the off-season, past the harvest, where it could be saved. The church is establishing a livestock program where people within the community can grow and create wealth through multiplying livestock. The church is developing a gardening program to grow food where the whole community can have access to irrigation, Christian or non-Christian, said, we thank God for the church because the church has, been, has really blessed our community. When's the last time you had a conversation like that? That's radically valuing life, right? That's radically demonstrating from Genesis 1, first page of your Bible, God values everybody. This is the kind of witness that we want to have. Okay? So our response, throughout history and every society and every culture, there have always been worldly barriers 
to acknowledging and honoring the value that God has placed within. In our society today, we, we face particular challenges in terms of racial disparity, racial injustice because of our history as a nation and our history as a society, economic inequality, economic oppression through institutions founded within our nation like the IMF and the World Bank that has put crushing debt and interest, unattainable interest rates on nations around the world, keeping them enslaved to our overly wealthy societies. You with me? Civilian casualties through our own activity around the world. Okay, these are, these are things that are, that are very real, that are a part of our society and their challenges that we face that are not simple, okay? And of course, there's the hot-button topic of abortion. Okay, this is a, a very real, visceral challenge. It's an issue that we all uh, think about, right? And I'm sure that people in this room fall on different sides of how to handle that, Okay? The statement that I want to make very clear is that if we use Scripture as our reference point for what's right, for what's ethical in the way that God wants us to live in righteousness and in justice, there is no case for abortion that is acceptable. Period. Okay? If we're truly honoring the image of God within a living being, a living human life, There's no excuse. There's no case to be made. Okay? And I say that with, like, in the fear of the Lord, okay? And if you see me standing outside an abortion clinic, it will be uh, weeping, okay? If we're going to take on this issue, let it be from a place of valuing every life, okay? And the irony is that many people, maybe even some of you in this room, who value the lives of the unborn aren't doing very well valuing the born. Okay? What would it be like if we were a church who didn't fit the societal norms and we valued all of life? You with me? So I just I want to I want to make this statement clear that that on-demand abortion within our society apart from the saving of a mother's life Is wrong. Period. That said, every person in this room is a sinner. There is no sin greater than the love of Jesus. Right? The words of most of the New Testament within this book were written by someone who took human life on a regular basis for a while, okay? There is space here for sinners, thankfully, because I'm one of them, right? So what we're not doing is drawing a line and saying, if you've done X, there's no place for you here, okay? Because if that were the case, many of us should leave now, all right? The other thing it needs to say around this is that if you have been impacted by the issue of abortion personally, whether through your own choice, whether through coercion, or whatever it might be, 
We want to walk with you and stand with you, okay? We want to connect you. We want, we want to welcome you. If you have the need for counseling, we want to make that available to you. We want to help connect you with everything you need toward healing and wholeness, okay? So I don't want to make this statement. Okay, so hear me out. I don't want to make this statement and it be this sort of crass, crude, cold thing toward people in our body. You with me? Nor do I want you to hear me and think, oh, he's just going on the, he's from the Bible Belt. He's going off on conservative politics. No, because you know what? If, if we're going to value life, we need to value all of life. And a lot of the rhetoric I hear today from people who are supposedly pro-life is not pro-all of life. And as we're voting, as we're voting, we have a lot of hard work to do to ask the Lord, one another, and ourselves, how can we, how can we uphold justice and righteousness for the most vulnerable, not just tomorrow, but over the next 50 years, over the next 100 years? How we do that is complicated, and I'm not proposing a specific solution, a specific political platform. Are you with me? I'm not proposing a certain candidate platform, whatever. All I'm saying is that we need to think about the long game. And how, how do we get there? How do we stand for the vulnerable? How do we live lives of righteousness and justice? If we do nothing, we are complicit. All right, so final thing I want to say about, about our response as a church. I want to Get back to someone, ignite your imagination. What does it look like for us to be people who radically value life? To get past the rhetoric, get past the the bumper stickers, all the mess, this this artificial binary approach to politics within America. I don't belong to a party, I belong to Jesus. First and foremost, if you belong to a party too, um, have at it. First and foremost, we belong to Jesus. What does it look like for us to radically value life? So I want to challenge you in your personal life. I'm going to wrap it up and talk about a few different areas. In your personal life, are you walking in righteousness and justice and valuing all of life? In your home. So don't post on Facebook about how you're pro-life and then be a jerk to your wife. Okay? Because you're not. You're not. Don't, Don't... Go on and on and on about how you're all about this issue or that issue and then be a jerk to your kids. Because that's inconsistent, okay? That's not living justly and righteously within your home. If you don't do it here, you won't do it there, okay? What does it look like within your workplace, within your various spheres of influence, within uh, the way that you do business, you conduct yourself economically, financially? What does it look like to do justice and righteousness, what does it look like to radically value life? I am, uh, I've taken on the role of overseeing our mission activity within, within Damascus Road. And something I want to say is that, okay, so I mentioned we're going to Senegal. Okay, and that's a, that's a thing that, that we're doing. That's a thing that we're collectively investing in and a part of. That's a part of your, your inheritance, whether you knew it or not. Um, we have uh, been celebrating and, and uh, embracing Dress Simber as we're, as we're raising funds 
fighting for uh, freedom for people around the world. We have been praying and supporting, uh, praying for and supporting Living Hope Orphanage in Puebla, Mexico. Um, we are uh, behind CareNet in the city, which is a crisis pregnancy center providing alternatives to abortion, not just, not just in speech, but in practice. Um, all, so the, the stuff that, that we're doing as a church, like corporately, is great. But most of what I want to highlight is what you're doing, okay? Ephesians 4.12, Paul talks about equipping the saints for the work of ministry. All, like preaching, the, the, various, the various gifts and roles that you see, like in leadership within the church, what it's for is equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Most of what happens from this church is what you do on a daily basis. That's what I want, that's what's on my heart to highlight, into champion, okay, and get behind. Um, so I want to I want to challenge you toward that, and we want to begin to highlight that and practice that more and more and more. Okay. I also want to mention one particular opportunity that's right here in our backyard. Okay, we're talking about valuing life, and if we're talking about the issue of abortion, we're talking about a societal issue. If we're talking about solutions to that, it's not just legislative, but it's societal, right? And it really begins with us uh, valuing the people in front of us and within our reach. Um, so one particular opportunity that we have is right in our backyard from Wright Middle School. Okay? And um, they have expressed a particular need to us for people to come in and just be in the kids' lives. Okay? So let me make it super simple. During their lunchtime, they need people to just come and either monitor in the lunchroom or during recess or play with kids. Pretty simple, huh? You can be a part of, you can impact our educational system and the lives and futures of kids, practice justice and righteousness by simply being present and playing with some kids or making sure that they stay safe. They've expressed this to us as a particular need it's an opportunity for us to give blessing and begin to have um, a voice and influence in the lives of many people, just as Mike did right here in this room, right? Was it on Thursday? We had a group from Friday. So we had a, a group from Wright come over here, and they helped clean, right? A group of students, and you guys had the chance to share with them about who we are and what we're about-ish. So amazing, right? Amazing opportunity. The kids are, are coming right here into our space. We have a greater opportunity to multiply that influence and grow it. So I want to give a particular challenge and invitation this morning and ask you again, your imagination, what if we had 10 people sign up to do that until May? School's out in May. What if we had 10 people take that on once a week, once a month, okay, just to be present? I want to ask you if you would consider doing that, okay? I want to ask you if you would consider doing that. We sit right here in one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the city, if not the most. And we have an opportunity to serve and bless the school right in our, back, in our backyard. If you're interested in, in serving in that way, if God's tugging on your heart, uh, you can chat with me after the service, okay? And I'll help you get connected. Uh, 
worship folks, you guys can uh, <laughs> go ahead and come up, okay? Um, that was the soft cue. You got it? Um, you guys, God is inviting us. God's inviting us into, like, the, the times that we live in, yeah, they're, they're turbulent. And a lot of times we don't know how to navigate this. If we will ground ourselves in the image of God and the value that he's placed within the people, within, a, within our home, within our community, within our nation, and around the world, we will be on track to walk with him, okay? I want to challenge us to know God's image, to know God's commandment toward justice and righteousness, and to respond accordingly, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for the, um, the model and example that you give us. You're so, you're so radical in your response and your valuing of people, Lord Jesus. In the way that you spoke with person after person after person, you didn't just minister to, your, to their needs. You didn't just heal their blindness. You broke down societal barriers and created justice for them. Jesus, help us to walk as you walk and to walk with you. Give us imagination, Lord. Stir our faith. Holy Spirit, rise up within us so that we might imagine a new future for our church, for our city, even for our families. In Jesus' name, amen.